Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's March the 17th. 2023, a Friday. The more I do this show, the more I realize that everyone and everything is connected. There's an uncanny connectedness indeed about today's uh, series of shows. Uh, earlier today, I talked with the Harvard culture and literature professor, comparative literature professor, Martin Puchner, um, about how culture is simultaneously owned by nobody and by all of us. Um, uh, Martin uh, is, a, is a syncretist, uh, as we discussed, and his new book, uh, Culture, the Story of Us from Cave Art to K-Pop, suggests a kind of interconnectedness that undermines any notions of purity when it comes to the cultural front. Um, and now we're going to look at things slightly differently. We're going to be talking about um, Amerasians uh, with my guest today, uh, Quay Mai, a best-selling writer who has a new book out, Dust Child, about Amerasians and a new way of thinking about the Vietnam War. Many of you will be familiar with her previous uh, best-selling book, uh, the Mountain Sing, and this book is just out. She is actually speaking to me from San Francisco, although she's on book tour, although she actually lives in Kyrgyzstan, so everything really is connected. Uh, Kwe Mai, welcome, uh, and congratulations on the new book. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Martin Puchner's book on culture, but I assume you're also interested in uh, the shall we say, the intersectionality of culture, particularly in the context of the Vietnam War and a generation of Amerasians that came out of it. Mm. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me uh, on the show. It's a great honor. Um, yeah, I mean, I will for sure, definitely, I will check out the book that you just recommended. And I believe in the interconnections of not just culture, but also life. Um, you know, in Dust Child, I wrote that everything related to, especially the Vietnam War is related by blood, <laughs> you know, because people who who were a part of the war lost so much um, because of that war. And now they ha have to find healing, reconciliations. And, you know, doing my real life research and helping uh, the people who who were impacted by the by this war, I found out that so many incredible stories that that show that show me that sometimes magic happen in life and 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 there are some a lot of relationships and inter interconnectivity in life you also wrote a uh, a very moving uh, op-ed in in usa today this week um about your search for a father that you'd never met um uh, you you write, um, and I'm quoting you, for many years as I assisted Americans and their parents in their search for each other, I saw so much heartache and so much hope for healing that I was compelled to write my last novel, Dust Child. Tell me about what you've seen uh, in, in terms of uh, assisting Amerasians that uh, triggered, that, that, that encouraged you to write this new book, Dust Child, Quemai. 
So in the year 2015, um, I read an article that moved me really deeply. Um, the article is about um, an American veteran who was in his 70s um, going back to Vietnam with an album of old photos. Um, walking, he walked the streets of Saigon looking for the people who would know his uh, former Vietnamese girlfriend in, in the pictures. And um, I realized that there are Vietnam veterans who have been looking for their Amerasian children. So I reached out to an um, organization that, that helps them in their search for their children. And I interviewed, um, you know, um, six of them. And one of them told me that, um, you know, the war traumatized him so much that, uh, you know, after returning to America, he couldn't find a job. He was homeless for more than 40 years. And during those 40 years, whenever he tried to sleep during the winter nights, he could hear his former Vietnamese girlfriend, Kim, calling him, Alan, this is your child. And he said no, and he walked away. So, so you know, he had so much regrets so that um, when Veterans Affairs, uh, um, you know, acknowledged that he was disabled and that he was able to move into a home, he did a DNA test and um, to try and find his child. And, um, you know, I interviewed him, I, I interviewed all the veterans, and I told one of them, why don't you write a letter to the woman whom you once abandoned, and you tell her why you have been, you know, spending your life saving to go back to Vietnam every year to look for her. And he wrote a very moving letter, which I published together with, with my essay about those veterans. And, you know, three weeks later, and, you know, I did not expect that I could help connect people because these veterans had been going back to Vietnam for years and they were featured on TV, newspapers without any any um, result, any links. So, you know, that, but three weeks later, I received an email from someone who said, Quay Mai, please call me. And I did. And she talked to me for 15 minutes and then she told me I'm the one in the letter. Uh, so she was in a relationship with a veteran. They had uh, a passionate uh, relationship. And then when she was pregnant, he was young and he was scared. And he told her he was going back to the U.S. And he just left. And he she had no choice because she worked in a bar. So she had to give the child away to an orphanage. So she asked me to put her in touch with a veteran. So they talked on video at first and he came back to Vietnam and met her and uh, both of them have been doing you know DNA tests but they haven't been able to find their child yet. Quay Mai, could you give me some approximate numbers of the the amount of of these children that came out of the war? I mean is it in the tens, hundreds of thousands? You know, the statistics really vary. There are statistics that say um, around 100,000 uh, Amerasians were born into the war and a lot of them were abandoned. You know, um, I, I think there are tens of thousands for sure. And, and you know, there are many sources that say 100,000 of them. And uh, I, I've been working um, with quite some of them who are left behind in Vietnam. A lot of them are illiterate and didn't have the chance to go to school and they don't know who their parents are. Um, you know, I know Amerasians who managed to locate the addresses of their 
fathers, either via the information that their mothers had given them or via DNA testing. But some some American veterans don't accept their children when they're con- con- contacted. Um, so that's a sad reality. But I know I know quite a few veterans who are searching for their um, their children. And recently, I translated for a veteran in Ohio who who didn't who had no idea he had a child in Vietnam, and then he um, via DNA testing, uh, the daughter in Vietnam found his um, nephew in the U.S. So the nephew was like, how come I have a relative in Vietnam? And everyone, you know, said, okay, that's your uncle because he's the only one who was in Vietnam. And um, luckily, you know, this veteran is very kind. Um, so his daughter did the DNA test first and confirmed that, that there's relations with the woman in Vietnam. And he did a DNA test and confirmed 100% father-daughter relations. So... I translated for him as he connected with his daughter and um, he just made a trip back to Vietnam and it was a very emotional reunion. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and, you know, this Amerasian uh, woman, you know, um, she was abandoned at birth by her mom and um, then, then, then she was sold, uh, you know, as, as um, she was exploited, uh, you know, for labor. So um, she has suffered a lot of trauma, but now, you know, she has found not just her father, but her whole um, family in the U.S. So it's, it's a happy ending to, to a wonderful, uh, you know, like to a traumatic journey. Um, and I hope there'll be more reunions like that. Quimaya, uh, yesterday uh, we had a, a, young, uh, a young novelist on the show, Alice Wynn, her first book. Uh, in memoriam is mm-hmm. uh, a novel about the first world war it's like your book it's going to be one of the the major fiction fictional uh, books of the year and we talked about the right uh, I talked with Alice about the right for her to so to speak appropriate the voice of male soldiers in the first world war uh, mm-hmm. homosexual male soldiers mm-hmm. For you, as a novelist, you spent a lot of time interviewing these people. Did you ever consider putting this work out as nonfiction in contrast with fiction? You could have uh, you, you 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 could have put it out as a series of interviews. Did you struggle in any way with uh, using the voice, for example, of male American soldiers, or do you think fiction writers, by nature, by definition, uh, can use the voices of people that uh, don't look or sound like them? Um, These are amazing questions, Andrew. Um, Actually, I have enough material for a nonfiction book or several nonfiction books about Amerasians and their family members. The reason why I don't write a nonfiction book is that I want to protect the identity of the people whom I interviewed. Uh, because there are so many ethical issues confirming, uh, you know, l- relating to Amerasians and their family members. Some of them can't, you know, like their family members don't know about their past history. You know, some of the women I interviewed, you know, their, their husbands and children had no ideas that they worked in bars and brothels before. So my my mm. responsibility as a writer is to protect the identity of, of those people. And I think the search for family members is very traumatic, full of emotions, also full of ethical 
implications you know sometimes you search for family members and you uncover so many secrets and 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 so many um parts that you didn't want to find out originally so uh, yeah in in terms of writing in the viewpoints of other people you know um So before I begin a writing project, I always research into what's available out there, what I can fill the gap, uh, you know, what I can contribute to 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 that canon of literature. And I found out that even though there have been, you know, nonfiction and fiction books written by Amerasians and about Amerasians who have left Vietnam, there has been no book written about Amerasians who are left behind in Vietnam. And there is no book so far that documents comprehensively the experiences of Amerasians in Vietnam as well as the experiences of their parents. Because, you know, if you look at Hollywood movies about Vietnam, normally, you know, Vietnamese women who work in bars or in brothels are represented as as very naive and a lot of the times very stupid, you know, uh, speaking this, you know, very simple English language and trying to, you know, like attract the men for money and and they don't seem to have trauma they don't have to see it seem to have agency and they seem to need white men, you know, to rescue them. And here I'm to say, you know, the women I interviewed are different. They are very complex uh, women who have demonstrated to me incredible um, inner strength, you know, and they have agency to save themselves. And sometimes they decided to save their children by giving them away. So I wanted to reflect on the difficult decisions they had to embark upon. And, you know, with this book, I also took a very, I think, daring decision to write in the viewpoint of an American man. Because, you know, Westerners have given themselves the rights to write in the viewpoint of um, Vietnamese women all the time. So I thought, why don't I do the same? You know, I, why don't I write in the viewpoints of a, a Western man? That was very challenging, but I worked with a lot of um, Vietnam veterans in the past. I have facilitated their visits to Vietnam. I have translated for their Um, you know, um, visits to the former battlefields, their reunions with their uh, former enemies. So I wouldn't have been able to write this book without, you know, these real-life experiences. And through this book, I want to demonstrate how wars can make an impact on young people because American soldiers went to Vietnam as very young boys. A lot of them were 1918. And, you know, I mean, they, you know, those, the ones who decided to walk away from their girlfriends, they had to have reasons why they had to do that. And I wanted to document, uh, talk about these reasons because, you know, um, yeah, I mean, wars push people into uh, terrible situations and sometimes they have to make decisions that they, that they regret. And, and, you know, with, with, for the veterans who come back to Vietnam, Today, they tell me they have so many regrets and they want to make up for the past mistakes by finding their kids. And I have, you know, I have I have been talking with, you know, quite a few veterans who are like doing everything to search for their children. And now they are, you know, in their late 70s. So I'm not sure they have time or not. And it's it's a painful truth. 
It's a painful truth. In some ways, I think you're very much on the same page, actually, as Alice Wynn. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her book, but like you, she did a huge amount of research on her subject because she wasn't able to talk to men who fought in the First World War, but she read about mm -hmm. them. Um, right, and, and, I, and I love your point, Kwe Mai, about sort of striking back, if you like, and, 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 and appropriating the voice of American soldiers. Americans are as, the American soldiers, I guess, are as complicated, as diverse as, um, as Vietnamese women. When you watch some American films about Vietnam, I just saw uh, uh, Coppola's Apocalypse Now once again, his 1979 masterpiece. Most of the American soldiers in, America, uh, in Vietnam are presented, if not as psychotic, certainly as, as, as drug-induced, um, uh, without a great deal of respect for the local culture, the local people, with a cult of violence. Can one make, in, in your research and in your discussions, you mentioned this sense of guilt, can one make generalizations about the behavior of American soldiers in the war itself, leaving aside the, the aftermath, the, the moral aftermath 30 years later? Mm. Oh, first of all, you know, you you mentioned about Alice's work, and I admire her work so much. I really admire women uh, writers who who dare to write in the viewpoint of men. I, I think you know sometimes if we women writers we can we can add um, you know um, certain dimensions to the canon literature written about wars and conflict because we can add you know I think women bring different perspective into the discussions. It's not just about the impact on the battlefield, but about the impact on family relations, about culture, about society. And um, yeah, and and I think it's um, it's not fair to make a generalization about the behaviors of American soldiers in Vietnam. Everyone is different. Um, I have the character Dan in my book. He, he does not represent, um, you know, he cannot represent all American soldiers in Vietnam. He represents certain groups of soldiers who were based in big cities like in Da Nang or in, in Saigon, um, you know, who had the chance to interact with um, with bar girls or with local women. But there were there, there, there were soldiers who were in Vietnam who only you know, went to the, the battlefield, they, they live in the jungles and in, you know, in military uh, camps. And, you know, they, they didn't have a chance uh, to interact with local women. Um, but, you know, I met a veteran in Portland um, and, you know, he, his name is Dan his name is Dan too, like like the name of my character. But I got to know him recently and he read Das Chai and he was very moved. And he said when he was in Vietnam, he fought in the jungle and he did not have a chance to interact with local women. But whenever he was on rest leave, you know, he, he when he was on rest leave, he, he went to, I think it was um, Taiwan that he went to or Thailand. Um, and he he had relations with um, with local women without any thought that you know um, that they had to serve him, and um, so so when he went on rest leave, he had, had relations with uh, with women at uh, at different bars, and and you know um, with this book, I wanted to demonstrate 
you know, I talk about different veterans and their different uh, the different types of behaviors as well. Violence uh, is war is violence, of course, and war is also sex, uh, physical violence. How 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 much did those get entangled uh, in the war itself? Given the subject of your novel, uh, this is a, obviously a central theme. Um, sadly, uh, war brings violence. So that's why, you know, this novel is really a call for peace and for humans to love humans more because I really think that um, our world has seen enough violence and there is no reason for us to go on killing each other and to keep seeing the other people as the other, you know. It, we need to humanize everyone, depend doesn't matter where they come from, their religion or their, their social classes or, or or their ethnicity. I mean, wars dehumanize people. And that's why literature, we need literature to humanize people. And the, the sad realities of wars is that they bring violence. And, and sometimes, you know, that's why um, a lot of uh, the military has has done damage to a lot of local um, cultures by fostering, you know, a sex industry. Um, you know, there was a sex industry in relating to the Vietnam War, not just in Vietnam, but you know, like in 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 surrounding countries that served the soldiers who were on rest leaves. Um, you know, that I also know many um, American children born out of um, the U.S. presence in the Philippines, and many be, have been searching for their parents as well, and also many mixed-race children in Japan, you know, as well. Um, so, so yeah, um, I mean, I was... Uh, shocked when I did the research for this book to find out how many women actually had to serve in the sex industry. And, um, you know, the voices, the stories of these women, you know, um, are rarely documented comprehensively. So, so, so as a Vietnamese woman, I feel like I have the responsibility to honor these stories so that they are not forgotten. forgotten. Tell me a little bit about your own story. It's as remarkable as any novel, I think. You, you as as I said at the beginning, you you live in Kyrgyzstan. You're a best-selling international writer. Your first book, uh, Mountain Sings, was a huge hit when I went on Amazon. You've got almost five thousand ratings, almost all five stars. A major hit, translated into many different languages. My guess is this new book, Dust Child, will be just as successful, if not more. Tell me a little bit about yourself, about how you, how you, because I know you began, what, as a translator, and, and you came to literature quite late. Mm. Thank you so much, Andrew. You have done so much research about me. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up in Vietnam. I was born in 1972, uh, in 1973, two years before the war ended. And I, I grew up, you know, uh, without... Um, you know, my family was really poor and I had to work as, as a street seller and rice farmer. And during those, uh, you know, very difficult years, um, it was uh, um, my parents' love, of course, but also books that saved me. You know, uh, my family had a bookshelf and 
filled with, you know, books that my parents had bought with their life saving. I did not have access to a bookshop or a library, but I had those that bookshelf that I could read and I read the books over and over again uh, until, you know, the pages fell off and my father had to make the hard covers for the book using, uh, you know, card- cardboard. And I still have those books at my parents' home. And, you know, because I love books so much, so I wanted to be a writer and my family uh, didn't want me to because writers normally can't not make a living. So my brothers tell me, you know, study something useful and do something useful to have parents. So I went on to study business and became one of the first uh, investors in the Vietnamese stock market. But I felt, and you know, like I I had uh, really good positions in in companies when I was, um, you know, in my early 20s, but I felt something was missing. So I went on to do many, many things. And then um, I returned to my writing dream uh, first as a poet, Um, when, you know, my husband works in development assistance, so that's why we have been moving around the world. Um, So I I met him in 1998. Um, So so we got married in 1999, and we moved to different countries first. Is he from Vietnam too? Was he born in Vietnam? Um, He's actually, he's German. Um, So we met in Hanoi, and, um, you know, and, and then I, we got married and we moved around the world. And he's the one who really supports my writing career. I, you know, if I lived in Vietnam, I'm not sure I would become a full-time writer. Because, you know, in Vietnam, a lot of the time, people don't consider being a writer is having a real job. <laughs> so I remember I took some months when I started, uh, you know, uh, writing. I took some months off to um to focus on my books and like my parents were really stressed out like why are you staying at home you study in Australia only to stay at home and then I got so many questions from other people like why are you not going to your office and and you know because I we moved overseas and my husband told me you know don't worry about making money you know art is more important than food and water I can take care of us you go and write the stories you need to tell and you know and that's why I spent years you know I was was working as a consultant for different UN agencies in development assistance Um, so but then in 2015 I decided you know um, to really quit everything quit all my income money uh, earning my uh, jobs and stay at home and and uh, and write and wrote the mountain thing and you know like when I for many years when I worked in Vietnam um, I um, I wrote my poetry and I translated Vietnamese poetry to be to to present Vietnam beyond the war uh, you know I wanted to, the international readers to know about Vietnam beyond the war but then, you know, um, I thought, okay, not many people read poetry. So I decided to translate a novel. And I was looking for a novel for years to translate. And then one day I told myself, why don't I write this novel myself? <laughs> so instead of translating, I went on to write The Mountain Sing. And both of my grandmas had died before I was born. So I always wanted to have a grandmother. So... Um, 
So, you know, um, then I created Grandma Ziolan in the mountain thing, you know, and Grandma Ziolan and her granddaughter Huong are the ones who bear witness to Vietnamese history. They, uh, they continue the, the Vietnamese storytelling traditions by, you know, you know, telling their stories to the next generation so that we do not forget what happened to us because Vietnam was um, colonized, occupied by different empires. And we also inflicted a lot of um, trauma and pain onto each other. And we need healing and reconciliation. And, you know, so many books have been written about Vietnam, but mainly Vietnam is the war. When it comes to you know English literature, Vietnam as the war or Vietnamese people as the background to the Western story. So you know, with the mountain thing, I wanted to place Vietnamese people in the center of of the narrative about Vietnam, and 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 tell you know the readers that that you know um, we are the people who suffered the most from the Vietnam War. We are the ones who need you know, healing. So we need to talk about our trauma and the need for healing. And, you know, this this book and also Das Child is my attempt to decolonize literature about Vietnam. As you may notice, my my name is written, written in full diacritics, you know. For example, one of my names, Que, Q-U-E, uh, as part of the English language, normally you we are expected to remove the diacritics, you know. So Que is my name, that means cinnamon. If you remove the diacritic, it becomes queer. That means a stick. So yeah, I've been, uh, I've, I've, I'm way too bad with language to even try to pronounce the first two uh, words in your name. Uh, queer, you live uh, as a self-described uh, global nomad. You have children. You're, as you said, your husband, your German husband works in development. You live in Kyrgyzstan. Do you sometimes long to live back in Vietnam? I understand it's hard to make a living as a writer in Vietnam, but now mm-hmm. you're amongst, if not the best known and most successful Vietnamese writer around. Um, do you sometimes long to go back? Oh, I go back to Vietnam all the time. To, My to parents, live, though. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, because of my husband's job, we are moving around the world. But at the moment, uh, you know, we plan to retire in Vietnam. So, you know, our home base is in Vietnam. And my parents live there. My brothers live there. I feel most at home when I go home. So I go home as often as I can. And um, yeah, but you know, like, also, there are certain advantages when you live outside and you write about home because in writing about home, you return home. In writing about Vietnam, I have to make, um, you know, um, Vietnam alive onto my pages. You know, I have to smell the food. I have to hear the language. I have to see the sceneries. So there are advantages when when you um, live away from home and you write about home. Uh, so, you know, I was um, listening to the audiobook of Murakami recently. Um, he has, um, you know, um, a memoir about his writing life. And uh, Murakami um, says that when he um, writes a new book, normally he leaves Japan <laughs> and he's traveling and he's writing, you know. And, you know, he's very disciplined. He's very productive. You know, it takes me seven years to write each of my books, so I'm not as productive as, as him. But I can see that, um, that you know, because like living outside of Vietnam, I have 
less pressure, I think, because, you know, the life in Vietnam is very hectic. Um, it's very stressful. Everybody is, like, working hard day and night. <laughs> People, you know, I, I know... I know a lot of friends who don't take holidays. Uh, they work day and night and they, they, you know, they work towards a better future, uh, you know, better future for, for their children. And it's quite stressful. You know, you are there, you listen to the traffic, you see people, you know, like cities, like my parents live in Ho Chi Minh City and this city doesn't sleep, you know, every, you know, people are on the street working day and night and it's incredible. In America, as you know, there's a great deal of controversy about what one can and can't write and what voices one use. Great debate both on the left and the right about freedom and, and, and fiction and, and both official and, and particularly self-censorship. Does that exist in Vietnam too? Vietnam's political record is checkered. It's a complicated, controversial country in, in today in, in terms of uh, its politics. Does one have to be careful, do you think, as a Vietnamese writer about what one says and doesn't say about the war? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, um, censorship exists in Vietnam as with in many countries. And also in, um, I think, in a greater extent even. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I need to, you know, I, I think I'm sometimes... You know, um, I feel like I'm walking on on thin ice <laughs> uh, because you know because the 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 viewpoints uh, about the war are very different depending whom you speak to, and I I want to be objective. I want to reflect different viewpoints, and you know uh, there are topics that we are not allowed to talk about in Vietnam, um, and you know like editors and publishers have to protect themselves by not. Well, what, what what subjects in particular? Subjects that doesn't reflect well on the image of, of Vietnam and the current government, for example. Um, so, for example, um, my first book, The Mountain Sing, uh, focuses on the impact of the land reform. Um, so, you know, so the, the land reform, I mean, there have been writers who have talked about the land reform in Vietnam. But, I mean, the, the books, uh, you know... Um, are not widely distributed or you know not reviewed on on media because like people hesitate to talk about such a difficult topic so um so you know when it comes to censorship you know vietnam is like similar to china um yeah but so as as you know um as as writers we have to be you know um yeah really careful wow so you say similar to china as as, as strict as china in terms Very of what you can and can't say you know um i can give you example um i mean okay let me take that back i am not completely sure about the censorship uh i guess it's similar but i you know i can give you uh but i'm not 100 percent sure but i can give you an example about the control of the state on the publishing industry so if anyone publishes a book and want to distribute it the person has to get a permission from a government-owned uh, publishing house so all the publishing houses in vietnam are government-owned so they have to follow government guidelines regarding what to publish and what not to publish and these guidelines are not 
not clear, not clear. So um, a lot of the time, the editors and publishers have to avoid, um, you know, problems. So they they need to be stricter, you know, to protect themselves. So even films, you know, um, you know, there are films in Vietnam that are locally produced, and the filmmakers. Uh, want to enter international competitions, but in Vietnam, you know, they they cannot show these films uh, um, locally because they are censored. Because you know, there are scenes in the films that the government mm. say this too sensitive. I know you made uh, you've involved um, in 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 the making of a film about the, uh, your subject intersections, uh, which uh, uh, won an award in in 2020. So you're quite uh, familiar with uh, movies, particularly about Children of the Dust. F finally, um, Quay, uh, we did a show a few months ago with an American writer, Kirk Wallace Johnson, on the experience of Vietnamese immigrants to the United States on, on the Gulf Coast in the 1970s and their fights with the Ku Klux Klan. He had a a book out, The Fisherman and the Dragon. I'm not sure how much research you've done on this, but in terms of your sense of the experience of Vietnamese immigrants in the United States, um, what's your take on that experience and how does it connect with the work and the conversations you've had uh, in Dust Child? Oh, um, you 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 mentioned about uh, the film intersection. So actually, I just joined the the team recently. Um, so the film uh, was produced by uh, Chan Van Cook, who's an Amerasian. Uh, so he's the director. He has an incredible story. He um, he grew up in a an orphanage, and he was told that both of his parents had died. And um, when he was forty eight years old, he um, I think when he was 46 or 48, he decided to do a DNA test to find out his heritage and found his mom, his mom. Actually, his mom lives in the U.S. and very close to his, the house of his adopted uh, parents. Um, so he found his father, too, and his father was still alive. So he was able to spend, uh, you know, a, a year or, or two with his father before his father passed away and his film, his story is just so unbelievable. I hope one day one someone can make, you know, a film about his life. But, you know, it's featured in Intersections. So Intersections is about the real life stories of, uh, of Amerasians. And um, it, it won several awards. And I'm really excited to be an um, executive producer because I've had experience making, um, producing films. And we want to find a distributor distributor for this series because I mean the stories are just so extraordinary and you know the stories of admirations and and like the incredible experiences that they went through are rarely told and rarely known and these documentaries are made by admirations themselves you know I'm just a contributor but the core team they're all admirations mm. and finally Perhaps a comment, uh, Quay, you've been very generous with your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Comment on the experience broadly. I know it's probably hard to generalize about um, Vietnamese immigrants to the United States as, again, an aftermath, but a, a new chapter in the relationship, sometimes a rather dark chapter in the, in the relationship between Vietnam and the United States. You know, um, 
I, I, I think uh, Vietnamese refugees who made it to the U.S. are very brave people. I mean, I grew up in Bạc Liêu in uh, southern Vietnam, and sometimes, you know, uh, my friends would disappear for my class, they would, they had, then they boarded the boat, the small fishing boat and leave for the big ocean. And those people who, who were brave enough, you know, to make that decision and then to survive the trip, to get here to America, they have been just so incredible. You know, they, re they lost so much and they rebuilt their lives here. So I have so much admiration for them. I mean, you know, like Viet Thanh Nguyen, the uh, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, considers yes. himself a refugee. And, you know, he's a fighter for not just his stories, but the stories of all of us Vietnamese writers from inside and outside Vietnam. And, you know, I've met in very generous um, people who Vietnamese who came here to the U.S. and 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 are making really great contribution and and um, doing um, you know great things. But of course, you know they still suffer from trauma. They still suffer from um, from their past experiences. So a lot of them have been having you know conversations with me about the need for healing uh, among the Vietnamese communities ourselves because you know. The Vietnam War divided our country and our community, you know. So the Vietnamese communities in the U.S. and the Vietnamese community in Vietnam, we are not like close to each other, you know, because we consider, uh, you know, because staying in Vietnam, we, we are told that those who left Vietnam are traitors. Okay, so the the people who left Vietnam consider, you know, the ones who stay are a lot of them are communists. So you know, there's still this this kind of hard feelings among us. So I think it's very important for people of my generation to bring the Vietnamese community together. That's the purpose of the Mountains Sing. And a lot of, you know, Vietnamese Americans have reached out to me and they said, after reading this book, I have been able to talk to my parents about what they went through, you know, and discuss about their trauma and, and explain the reasons of their uh, behaviors. So this book has been really like... Um, important for me in, in in reaching out to a lot of Vietnamese from inside Vietnam and also Vietnamese in different countries because we have the same shared life experiences.